Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're, of course, continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke. And, of course, we go verse by verse, passage by passage. This great book shows us Jesus as the perfect man. He's the Son of God. He's the God-man who is the final sacrifice for sin forever. He is the substitute for the sins of the world. Now, this morning, we're seeing a famous passage. It's the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. As we see his birth, we also realize there are several prophecies that are fulfilled. And as we look at this, there's the, what they call the Song of Zacharias. It starts at verse 67 and goes to the end of the chapter just about. He proclaims the truth. He claims truth about the Messiah and about his own son, John. And so it's some great things in there. As we look at God's Word, the goal, of course, is to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. And that as we see him as Jesus as our Savior and our substitute, that we would understand these things, especially as we get the background, beginning with John and then, of course, with Jesus himself. Now, as we study this passage this morning, we're going to see a number of theological terms. We're going to see words like this, salvation, redemption, forgiveness, mercy, righteousness. They're great terms that all believers should know, and we should know how they fit together, and we should know the meaning of those words, but, uh, and, we, and we will as we go through it. Now, let's think about the term salvation just for a second. It can mean a number of things. The word itself literally means to be delivered or to be saved from something. It could be salvation from an enemy, from a disease, from physical death, being delivered from sin and death, eternal life salvation. It could mean a lot of these things. Now, something I want you to think about. Whenever you study the Old Testament, you'll find that the meaning of salvation most of the time, I'm saying it this way, listen carefully, most of the time in the Old Testament when you see the word salvation, he is dealing with deliverance from an enemy or from death. Now, in Zechariah's song this morning, we're going to see, he talks about raising up a horn of salvation, how he's going to deliver us from our enemies. And the bottom line is he's thinking of it more as salvation from the enemy, which would be the Roman government. When we think of salvation, oftentimes we think of eternal life salvation. Let's think about that for just a second. How does a person have a relationship with God forever? How do you have an eternal life relationship? Well, it comes by faith in Jesus Christ. He came to the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He was buried and he rose again. And all who will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's, it's that simple. We have everlasting life. We have forgiveness. We have righteousness. And there are a lot of things that we'll see as we go through this song of Zacharias that he mentions some of these terms. We'll see it as we go this morning. I think it's a powerful passage, uh, famous passage, because it's the birth of John. We call him John the Baptist. He's called John the Baptist. I don't know if you realize this or not, but in the Greek, there's a participle connected with his name. He's really called John the Baptizing One. Because he was the forerunner of the Messiah, and he was baptizing people to identify with Jesus Christ. So throughout history, he's been called John the Baptist because he was baptizing people. Now, let's get a little background. Last time, Mary was told by this angel, Gabriel, she was going to have a son. The son would be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. He'd be the king of Israel. She left immediately. She was living in the northern part of Israel in, in the Nazareth. She left, went all the way to the southern part of Israel. We don't know if she went by herself. It'd be very rare if she did. But she leaves, and she goes down to see her relative... Uh, uh, Elizabeth, who is pregnant, six months pregnant with the one we call John. After rising, arriving there, Mary sang a special song. We saw it last week. It was praising God about the Messiah and the Savior. Well, this morning, Mary's going to stay just a few weeks. Basically, she stays three months, and then she goes back home. Then John is born. And so we see the birth of the forerunner and the Messiah, uh, the forerunner of the Messiah. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says that God would send a messenger who would go before the Savior. This is the one. Let me break down the passage for you so you can see how it fits. 
We're looking at verses 57 through 80. First of all, we're seeing the birth and the naming of John. That's 57 through 66. And then we're going to see the song of Zacharias. That's what they call it. He ta- first part, he deals with the Savior. And the second part, he deals with the forerunner, which is his own son. And then the very last thing, he mentions John. We get mentioned John's early years, which is, you know, as he grew up. It's kind of a strange thing. He stayed in the deserts. That's how it puts it. We'll talk about it as we go through it. Well, let's begin. Mary has come down. She's visited Elizabeth. Elizabeth has told her all of his things. She stayed about three months, and now she's going back. Look at verse 56. And Mary stayed with her about three months. She stayed with Elizabeth, and then she returned to her home. Now, we brought that up last week. Notice very carefully, she went back to her home. She is not married to Joseph yet. She is engaged, betrothed. To break that engagement would be a divorce. So, in in a sense, they don't live together, but to break that engagement would be a divorce. She goes back to her home. We brought this up last week. When she left Joseph... Three months earlier, she had just found this angel came to her and told her that she was going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The baby was going to be the Messiah. Best we can tell, she didn't say anything to Joseph at all. She just left. And she's been gone for three months. And now she comes back. And she comes back three months pregnant. And what is she going to tell Joseph? Joseph sees her and he says, where have, where have you been? And she said, well, <laughs> you, you, gotta, you, you won't believe this one. But anyway, honey, here's what happened. Angel told me the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I'm pregnant. Even though I'm a virgin, I'm pregnant, and the baby is the Son of God, the Messiah. Now, we're going to talk about this next week because Luke doesn't even deal with it. When you get into chapter 2, he doesn't deal with it. Matthew deals with this because Joseph loved her so much that he didn't believe that. He said, I'm, I'm sorry, I love you, but I just can't believe that. So he, Luke, uh, Matthew tells us that he was planning to divorce her privately. So he could have her publicly stoned for having sexual relations before marriage. That's what he thought. But he loved her so much he didn't want to do that. He was going to put her away privately. And in a dream, God came to him through an angel and told him that Mary was telling the truth. That was from the Holy Spirit. That is, the, the baby was, is the Savior of the world. You shall call him Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. And so he married her. Now, we'll see how all that ties together next week. Mary stayed three months and then returned home. Look at verse 57. Now, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Now, if you haven't been here in these last few weeks, remember that there was an old priest by the name of Zacharias, and he and his wife Elizabeth had been praying for a son for years. He went to the temple to burn the incense, and an angel, Gabriel, told him, you're going to have a son. Your wife's going to be pregnant. She's going to have a son. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He didn't believe. He said, I don't believe that. And so the angel said, you won't be able to speak until all of this comes to pass. So the best we can tell, he came back home, wrote down for her because he can't speak. best we can tell, he can't speak are here. And for nine months, it's been that way. But they believe they're going to have this son. It's now time. The time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. As we look at these verses, I want you to realize we're going to see God fulfills his word over and over. Look at the very first thing. First thing that he fulfills, the promise that Elizabeth would have a son, that they were older people, they were It was past the age of having babies, and the angel told Zacharias, your wife Elizabeth will have a son. Sure enough, what does it say? The time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. I want you to know something, that whenever God says something, it is always true. When you study your Bible, when you read the Word of God, whatever it says... If he says, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this, you can count on it. When he makes a promise to you, he said to you, I give you eternal life, you'll never perish. I guarantee you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has given to you eternal life. 
You will never perish. That's a promise. Whatever he says comes true. Well, first of all, he said she's going to have a baby. She had a baby. Look at the second thing that happened. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. Now, the word neighbors means those who dwell around you. All of her friends and all of her neighbors and her relatives, they heard about it. They knew that, you know, it was just an amazing thing that this woman at that age was going to have a baby. Now she had the baby, and it said that they had heard the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. You know, God always deals with us in mercy. He doesn't deal with us in his justice. He poured his justice on his son, Jesus Christ. He shows us mercy, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saves us. Well, notice what happened. It said, and they were all rejoicing with her. Well, that's the second aspect of God's word to be fulfilled. Back in chapter 1, verse 14, we saw that at his birth, there would be joy and gladness. Sure enough, at his birth, they were all rejoicing with her. God's word is always true. Well, look what happened. Verse 59, and it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Now, we're going to go over this in a lot more detail when we see the birth of Jesus. But when a baby boy was born, they waited eight days and on the eighth day they would go to the temple area and they would circumcise the little boy and then they would name him. Then 40 days later they did something else. But on this day they've come here to circumcise him and give him a name. Now all the people, they already think they know what the name's going to be. All the people have been her friends forever. And the normal custom at that time, especially if you'd been waiting for a son, they were going to name him after his daddy. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, bring that baby on in here. We're going to name the baby. We're going to name him Zacharias because that's what everybody thinks. Notice what it says. It happened on the eighth day. They came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. That's what they all thought. That was the custom. But notice, verse 60 begins with a but. But, no, no, his mother answered and said, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. Now, you can see him going, John? Not that there's anything wrong with the name John. It's a great name. But there was nobody in their family named John. And so they're naturally saying, who are you naming this baby after? I mean, we figured you'd name him after Zacharias. I mean, that's the natural thing to do. And who is John? Notice what they say. They all said to her, verse 61, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. Why in the world would you do this? Now, let me tell you, she said John. Why did she say John? Because she believed God. See, when her husband came home and he couldn't speak, best we can tell is he wrote down for her that he had seen this angel. And this angel said she was going to have a baby. And the baby was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And they were to name him John. And so when time comes in front of all these people, when they all say, we're going to name him Zacharias, she said, no, 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 we're going to name him John. Because she believed God and she was obedient to what God said to do. Now there's a question for us. Do you believe God and are you obedient to do what God says? Now, how do you believe God? You go back to the Word of God. You say, I believe the truth from God's Word. And do you obey it? See, it's one thing to say, oh, I believe God's Word. It's another thing to live by God's Word. She not only believed that that son was supposed to be named John and that he was the forerunner, but she publicly said his name will be John. She believed and was obedient. And we need to believe the Word of God. And be obedient. Well, notice the people. What did they say? There's nobody in your relatives who's called by that name. This doesn't make sense to us. We figured it'd be better to call him Zacharias. So they look at her and go, 
maybe she doesn't even know what she's talking about. Let's just go ask the dad. That's the best thing to do. Let's go ask Zacharias. So what did they do? They made signs to his father, verse 62, as to what he wanted him called. Now you remember, Zacharias, from that day that he heard that, he hasn't been able to speak. In fact, the best you can tell, he can't hear either. This has been nine months that he hasn't been able to speak or hear. Now you remember the promise? The promise was, you won't be able to say anything until this is fulfilled. Now if you're Zacharias, you may have been laying in bed at night saying... I wonder when this is going to be fulfilled. Will it be fulfilled when the baby's born? Will it be fulfilled when the baby grows up? Will it be fulfilled when the baby does his ministry, which means he's a grown man? Zacharias thought, you know, I might not live long enough to even see this happen. On this day, they come to him and they say, What do you want the baby called? <laughs> what? What do they say? What do they say? He can't hear. So he can't hear and he can't speak. They made signs to him as to what he they wanted him called. And so he asked for a tablet. And he wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. Now, do you think they brought him a tablet, like this piece of paper right here and a number two lead pencil? No. Best thing we can tell back in that day, they had, they'd take a little wooden box and they would cover it over with wax. After the wax dried, then they would take something hard and they would scratch out what they wanted said. So like a writing tablet. So he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were astonished. They went, they want to call this baby John. See, it was astonishing because this wasn't normal. This was different. The family had waited so long, you would think if they've waited all this time for a son, they would name him after his daddy. No, it's going to be John. Now, you remember what Gabriel had said, the angel? He said, because you didn't believe me, Zacharias, you will not be able to speak until this is fulfilled. The baby is born, and they are now naming him John. Look what happened. Verse 64, and at once his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. This is the third of the fulfillments of God's word. Zacharias can now talk. See, the promise they're going to have a son, had a son. Promised there'd be joy and gladness at his birth, there was joy and gladness at his birth. Promised that Zacharias would be able to talk, and now he can talk. What did he say? It says here, as once his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak in praise of God, what did he say? Well, it's verses 67 through 79. We're going to see exactly what he said that day. Now, I want you to see something that's pretty incredible because God always keeps his word and whatever he says happens. And just like he said, the baby was born, there was joy to all, Zacharias can speak. And the same thing is true for us. That in any promise that he makes to us, and we've talked about this before, not every promise in the Bible is to us. A lot of them are to us. And you, there are certain things you can read and say, well, that's to me. I know that's to me. When it says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you eternal life, I guarantee you, you know you got eternal life. Uh, if he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, you know he never leaves you or forsake you. If he says, I'll provide every need that you have, you can know that he's going to provide every need. If he says, I will empower you, he's empowered you. If you've got spiritual gifts, you got spiritual gifts. So whatever he says is true. What do they do? He praises God. We should praise God for what he's done for us. Well, what did the people think about this? Because in just a minute, we're going to read what he said, beginning at verse 67 and going through verse 79. How did the people respond to what he said? Look at verse 65. Fear came on all those living around them. 
And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. See, the people, fear came upon them. They said, this is something big. It said all these matters, literally in the Greek it says, all these words were being talked about. What Zacharias said that day, people were talking all over the place going, could you believe what he said? Do you believe that? I believe that. He goes on and says in verse 66, all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Now, I want you to understand something. They're believing. They're hearing that the Messiah is coming. They're hearing that the baby, this baby named John, is the forerunner of the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to come and deliver the people. Now, I want you to think something with me. When you hear the word deliver, when you hear salvation, we automatically think, okay, salvation, Jesus saved us. He died on the cross. He paid for our sins. We have eternal life. We're going to be with him forever. They didn't think that. Not in that same way. See, for the Jewish mindset, the Messiah was going to come and save the people from their enemies. Ever since the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and the Greco-Macedonians and the Romans, all these nations had controlled Israel. They're waiting for the day that the Messiah, the King of Israel, the greater son of David, would come and defeat the enemy and run them off. See, if you said to the Jewish person, when the Messiah comes, who's he going to save? And they'd say, we're going to save us. How's he going to save us? He's going to whip the Romans. See, that's why Judas, he didn't understand. He was with Jesus. He's on Jesus' side. He thought Jesus was going to be the king. And he was going to take over. And then as Judas realized that as the ministry went on, that Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. And Jesus' first coming was not to rule, it was to die. And when when, uh, Judas realized that, he switched sides. He said, I don't want to be on the losing side. I don't want to be on the winning side. So he switched sides. So as we read what he says in a minute, I want you to understand to the Jewish mindset, the Messiah and Savior was to deliver them from their enemies. We'll see it. Now, it is truth that the Messiah and Savior not only delivered them physically from their enemies, but is the one that gives them life. For us, when we think of Jesus as our Messiah and Savior, he is the one that saves us from our sin and gives us eternal life. Notice what it says. Fear came all those, verse 65 again. Fear came on all those who were living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept these in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly on him, or was certainly with him. What did Zacharias say that day? We have it recorded, beginning at verse 67 and going through verse 79. And I want you to see it. It's pretty powerful. Notice verse 67. His father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... Now, Zacharias is filled with the Holy Spirit. God comes upon him to give him a message. He's a prophet. He's going to prophesy. He's fixing to give a message. He's a priest, but he's also a prophet. His message is twofold. I want you to see it. Verses 68 to 75, he talks about salvation, the Messiah, the son of David. He's going to talk about the Messiah will deliver the people. Then in verses 76 to 79, he talks about his own son, the forerunner, who is John. We'll see that as we go through. I'll go through it very, very quickly just so you can get the the whole flow of the passage. Verse 67, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, he begins by praising God. 
That's the way you ought to begin every day. That's the way we ought to go through life. We ought to go through life praising God for who He is and what He has done. That's what worship really is. Responding to God to who He is and what He has done. But notice the second part of the verse. For He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. If you notice carefully, it's past tense. Even though it hadn't happened yet, even though he hasn't delivered his people, even though the redemption hasn't happened yet, he says it as if it's past tense because it is so sure. It will happen. So he says, you have visited us. You have accomplished redemption for his people. The word visit sort of a unique word. It means to look down. It means to come and see. It's as if God was saying, okay, I'm looking down. I'm seeing what you're doing. Okay, I'm going to take care of you. He's accomplished redemption. There are a number of Greek words for redemption. This word means to buy and set free. It's as if you went into the market and you said, oh, I'm going to buy a slave. Back in that day, half the world, three quarters of the world were slaves. You could go into a market if you were a free person and you could say, I'm going to buy that slave. And you would purchase that slave. But this Greek word meant you buy it and you set it free. He says, God has accomplished his redemption. He has purchased Israel and set them free. In their mind, they are set free from their enemies. He's going to come and set them free. You'll see it more as we go through it. I want you to understand, the truth is Jesus Christ has died on the cross for us, and he has purchased us, and he has set us free from our sin and our guilt. 1 John 2, 2, he is the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He has paid for our sin and set us free. Watch what he goes on to say. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Now, the word horn of salvation means the power of salvation. He has raised up a Savior. The one in the house of David, of course, is the greater son of David. That's the Messiah. That's talking about Jesus. He has saved his people. Now, let's think about salvation for a minute again. I want you to see something. When you think about salvation, especially in this passage, it could mean physical salvation, salvation from an enemy. It can also mean physical salvation, the idea from sickness, death, or a hard situation. It can also mean spiritual salvation, salvation from sin and separation from God. In this passage, as they think about it, and he says this, they're thinking deliverance from the enemy. We know that he means even more than that. When he says he has accomplished salvation, it is not only salvation from an enemy, but it is eternal life salvation. And I want you to understand something. By faith in Jesus Christ, look at this next thing here. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved physically from physical death. Jesus Christ conquered physical death by his resurrection. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, he has conquered physical death in every human being will be raised from the dead. You will be raised. If you die physically, if you die before Jesus Christ comes in the cloud and your body goes in the grave, one of these days, he's going to raise that body up because he has delivered you from physical death. But there's a second thing also, spiritual death. He has saved you from spiritual death by faith. We have eternal life and will never be separated from God. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, that moment he gives you eternal life and you are saved from spiritual death. That's why right now Jesus is with you. The Bible says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? That's why if you died right now, you would be with Jesus because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You'll never be separated from him. You have spiritual life forever. He has conquered all of that. 
Notice what he says. He says, he's raised up the horn of salvation in the house of, of David, his servant. And then he says, as he spoke by the mouth of, his old, uh, of the holy prophets from old, he said, this is stuff that had been told a long time ago, and he's going to tell us four things. Look at these four things. His promises are to save, to show mercy, to remember, and to purpose to say to, so that we might serve. Notice what he says. I'll go through it very quickly. He says that he might save us. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He is telling Israel, God has brought a redeemer who will deliver them from their enemies. Now, for us, we sit there and we say, well, we've we never been slaves to anybody. We've never been controlled by anybody. We're America. We, we, we're free. The land of the home and the brave and the free. We got everything. But they weren't free. And if you said, there's a Messiah coming that's going to free you from these enemies, they'd say, right on. Going to save us from our enemies. But there's more. Look at the second thing. It's to show mercy. Look what he says, verse 72. To show mercy toward our fathers. God is a merciful God. And let me tell you this. I mentioned it a while ago. You do not want to stand before God and say, give me your justice. You do not want that. The justice of God would be you'd be separated from God forever. Because you've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We owe God death. God did not pour out his justice on us. He poured out his justice on Jesus Christ. He poured out his mercy on us and his grace. And so he says to show mercy. There's a third thing. And that is to remember. Notice what he says. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. God does not forget his promise. He remembers the covenant that he made with Israel. That's what Zacharias is telling him. God's not forgotten his promise. You know what the promise was to Abraham? Abraham, you're going to have a son who is the savior of the world. And in you, Abraham, all the nations of the world be blessed. They haven't forgotten that. God hadn't forgotten. And there's one last thing. And that is to rescue us purpose so that they could serve. Notice what he says. To grant us that we being rescued from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Why did God remember? Why did God save? Why did God show mercy? His whole purpose to Israel is that they would serve him. You remember, he chose the nation of Israel so they would serve God. Why did he choose you? Why does he give you eternal life? Why does he leave you on this earth? Why does he give you gifts, talents, and abilities? Why has he left you here? It is so that you might serve him. I want you to understand that. We have this, we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. We are to glorify God in our bodies. Every one of us in this room who know Jesus Christ is Savior, you are on this earth for a person, for a purpose. And that is that you would serve Him. We wake up in the mornings, we think, what am I going to do today? What's in it for me today? How can I go through life? What's, what's the best for me? What we should do is wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for giving me another day. What do you want me to do for you today? My purpose in life is to serve you. That's what he says. It's powerful. Notice he says, and serve him in holiness and righteousness all our days. Now, let me tell you what he said. He said, God's given us a Savior, talking to Israel. He will deliver them, he will deliver the nation of Israel from their enemies. He will save them spiritually. He will show them mercy. He remembers his promises and that they would serve him. He has raised up for us a Savior the same way. 
that He would give us eternal life, that He would deliver us from physical death, that He would give us spiritual life, and that we might serve Him. It's very powerful. Now, the last thing I want you to see is what does he say about his own baby? Because all this time, he's standing there with his son, and he's been telling about the Messiah, and look what he does. He says, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. He calls his son the prophet of God and the forerunner of the Messiah. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 talked about the forerunner of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 says there will be a voice crying in the wilderness. That day people heard Zechariah say, My baby named John, this is the forerunner of the Messiah. This baby will go before the Savior. Let me tell you something. If you were there that day, you'd have to know something. You'd have to say, well, if this is the forerunner of the Messiah... Messiah can't be too far away. I mean, if this baby's going to grow up and, and, and do something, then the Messiah can't be very far behind him. With a little break, I may live to see the Messiah. That's what they're thinking. He does two things here, and I want you to see it in this verse. What will he do? He will give knowledge of salvation And go ahead and give the next one, forgiveness of sin. Look what it says. He will give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want you to understand something. We go out of this room and we know the way of salvation. Now, I hope you do. You should. It's not your goodness. It's not your works. It's not your righteousness. It's not going to church. It's not being baptized. It's not making a public confession. Not turning over your life not to a new leaf. Not trying to live a good life. Salvation is in Jesus. He is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You believe in Him and you have eternal life. That's what it is. You have the knowledge of salvation. When you go out these doors, you tell people in this community how they too can have eternal life and receive forgiveness of sins. Every one of us in this room... You have the payment for sin. Everyone, in fact, everyone in this world has the payment for sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for sin. But everyone who believes in Jesus has the forgiveness of sins. And they're two different things. He says John's job will be to tell people about salvation, receive the forgiveness of sins. Verse 78, 79 go together because of the tender mercies of our God with which the sunrise will come on high will visit us. Those who sit in the darkness will see the light. And what it's talking about there is that the Messiah's nickname in the Old Testament was the light. And sure enough, he says, one day Jesus Christ will show his light of salvation to mankind. And that's what he's talking about. Well, there's one last thing, and that's what his life was like. Look what it says, verse 80. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearing to Israel. I want you to understand something. This little boy, once he got to be a little boy, when he went to grow up, he didn't live with his mom and daddy. He lived out in the deserts area, out in the wilderness area. You say, why? I don't know why. But something happened. See, when his ministry began, think about it, 30 years from now, he's going to begin his ministry. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't take a cart and a big poster on the side going, Here, John, in the wilderness, 9.30 Tuesday night. Didn't do that. He just starts proclaiming the truth, and people come out there. That's why he's called the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We'll see it 
in about 30 years as we go through this passage. We'll see what happens. Powerful. This morning we've seen the birth of John fulfill the word of God. We've seen all the people realize he's a special child. We've seen Zacharias give his song. He told about the Messiah and he told about his son. Let me give you some applications. First of all, trust God who always keeps his promises. Listen, he kept the promise about the birth of John and about Zacharias able to speak and about the joy and about the promise of the forerunner and the promise of the Messiah. Every promise in the Bible is true. Everyone that applies to you, you can apply it and know that it is true. Trust the Word of God. Live by the Scriptures. It's the most important thing in the world. You must know this and you must live it out. Trust God in His Word. Second, let's proclaim the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's do it. Let's proclaim it. Let's tell our community of the way of salvation. A, declare Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Savior. He is. He is the one that God has sent. He is the one that gives eternal life. He is the one that delivers us physically. He's the one that delivers spiritually. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again. He brings redemption and forgiveness. He is all of these things. When you go out these doors, you have the message. We must proclaim that message. Pray for the opportunities. Look for the people that, people that you know that don't know Jesus Christ and build your life into them and have the opportunity to tell them. B, serve God in holiness and righteousness. Serve God in holiness and righteousness. That's how the nation of Israel was to serve Him. That's how we're to serve Him. We're to live righteously and godly in this age. And then last but not least, it ties together, fulfill our purpose. John was raised up to be the forerunner. Now, that'd be, that's the most incredible thing. What if you had been picked to be the forerunner of the Savior of the world? But let me tell you something else. God has raised you up for this time. You are not a chance. He formed you in your mother's womb. You are special and unique. He has planned your life. He has given you gifts, talents, and abilities. He knows you, and he's put you on this earth at this time to be his servant. Fulfill your purpose in life. And that is to be the servant of Jesus Christ. Tell him today. Say, Lord, I just want my life to count for you. You know that you have eternal life as a gift. But your life is for him. Use your life for the glory of God. Fulfill your purpose. Today, may we trust Jesus Christ. May we trust God in his promises. May we serve him. As we proclaim the good news of salvation to those who do not know, may we live godly lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you for these truths. Lord, we just uh, uh, pray that, uh, number one, that, that we'll trust you, that you, you always keep your promises. May we believe that. May we live by the word of God. May we base our lives on your truths and live by that. And Lord, as we scatter in this community, may we proclaim the message of salvation, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Savior, that we're to live in such a way that we bring people to Christ, that we fulfill the purpose that you have for us and lord i just thank you for each one in this room lord i know so many in this room in fact i hope and pray that everyone in this room has trusted christ i pray lord that as we scatter in this community we will go with the good news message of jesus and people will come to know him thank you for the truth of the messiah thank you for the truth of the forerunner who went before jesus we ask this in jesus name amen